Good morning, sinners. Am I wrong, though? Right? I mean, okay. Well, I know we don't like to hear that, but it's true. We know it. You see, as a pastor, I get to know people pretty well, and I feel like I know pretty much most of you pretty well, too. And uh, I know that for some people in here this morning, you have been in church your whole life. You've got a story kind of like Gene McKinney, who, listen, Gene may or may not have been born in our baptismal. I don't know. I can't find the records, but it, it might have happened, okay? So your story might be like Gene's, and you could have been here your whole life, or maybe your story is a little bit more like mine, and you thought that a church would be the last place that you would ever end up. Amen? Uh, if you had told me back when I was 17, dating an atheist and living a lifestyle of sin and debauchery, that one day I would be a Christian, let alone one day I would be the pastor of a Southern Baptist church, I would have laughed in your face so hard I probably would have pulled something. And yet here I am, by the grace of God. You see, here's, here's what I know this morning, is that no matter what your story is, no matter if your story is like Gene's and you were born in the church and have been here your whole life, or if your story is like mine and you thought that this is the last place you would ever end up, the one thing that I know for sure about everybody here this morning is that nobody in this place has it all together. Amen? Okay, that's something we should be able to admit. If not, you're in for a good one today, okay? Because <laughs> listen, that's not by accident either, right? There are no perfect people in the church. It's because one, they don't exist. And two, it's because Jesus didn't come for the perfect people. Jesus didn't come for the nice, respectable people who have it all together. Jesus came for the broken people, for the sick people. For the despised people, for the people whose lives are a total mess, and he came for them. And so Jesus has this habit of calling the worst sorts of people to come and join us in his kingdom. And so here's, here's what I know this morning. Uh, I don't want anyone to be here this morning thinking that you're in the wrong place. Okay, If you are here this morning, you are in the right place. And you might be thinking, well, that's easy for the pastor to say. He just wants to welcome all these visitors and things like that. He wouldn't be saying that if he knew what my life was really like. He wouldn't be saying I'm in the right place if he knew all the stuff I'd done in my life. He wouldn't be saying that if he knew what I was even doing last night, the night before I came to church. And the thing is, yes, I would. I would absolutely be saying that. Because that's exactly what this passage is all about. This is one of the most well-known passages in the Bible, and it teaches us a beautiful truth. What I want everyone here to know this morning is that Jesus came for people just like you. Personally, I'm thankful for that, right? You look at who Jesus calls to join him and follow him, and you see that it is the messed up people. It is the broken people, the sick people, the ones who don't have it all together. And the great comfort for everybody in here this morning, no matter if you have been in church your whole life, no matter if you never thought you'd end up in the church, the great news is no matter where you are, Jesus came for people just like you. And I don't mean that in a general sense. I mean that in a very specific sense. I mean, I'm referring to the person right now who thinks that I'm not talking to you. I am. <laughs> to the person who's like, he must be thinking of the person over there. No, I'm not. I'm talking about you. Jesus came for people just like you. And just so you know that it's not just me saying that, you might be wondering this all-important question. Well, how can we know for sure 
that Jesus came for people like us? And that's what we're going to get into this morning. That's what we're going to be considering. I want to know for sure. How can we know for sure that Jesus came for people like me? Because honestly, I'm a mess. And if you can identify with that, you're going to love this message because Jesus is awesome. So look at verse 9 where he starts. The Bible says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. So look, as we start to unpack this message, there's something already right here going on that's very easy to miss and overlook. So let me just ask you a question, and I love participation here, so feel free to talk back to me, okay? What's the name of the book of the Bible that we're studying right now? All God's people said Matthew. Amen. All right. So don't miss what's going on here, right? Matthew has included his own personal story in his gospel. It's Matthew's way of getting on our level and saying, hey, listen, Jesus came to call the worst of sinners, and oh, by the way, I was one of them. Matthew is saying, you don't know how I can be so certain that Jesus came for people just like you and came for the worst people on earth? It's because I was one of those no good sinners, and he called me to follow him. And if he called me, he will certainly call you. If Jesus came and accepted someone like me, he will certainly come and accept someone like you. Now, if you're new here, you may be wondering, well, uh, what's so bad about Matthew? Right? He, he seems like a good guy. He wrote a gospel. So, so what's the big deal? Why was Matthew so bad? Well, the main thing about Matthew is that he was a tax collector. And unfortunately, tax collectors back in those days were not like the upright, respectable, trustworthy tax people that we have today. No, no, back then you couldn't trust the tax people. Praise God, times change. You see, here's what Rome did, right? All the tax collectors, they worked for Rome. And here's what Rome did. Rome said, you have to go and you have to collect a certain amount of money from each person in each family. And the tax collector said, okay, we got that. We can do that. But then they would charge extra. And Rome didn't care because Rome was getting their share. And the Jewish people weren't going to fight back against it because they worked for Rome. And so the tax collectors would charge all this extra money and they'd put it in their own pockets and they'd get rich by taking advantage of other people. And so listen, everyone knew they were doing it too. Rome knew they were doing it. The Jewish people knew they were doing it. But not a single person could possibly stop them and they weren't going to say anything about it. And so tax collectors, they were not very popular people. Now, we can admit that's all pretty bad, right? Everybody admit stealing from others? Yeah, okay. Do y'all want a sermon on theft next week? Let's get some nods, okay? Okay, it's bad to steal from people. Okay? That's all pretty bad. What makes it worse? I'll tell you what makes it worse. Matthew was a Jew. And he was a Jew working for Rome, the bad guys. And he was stealing from other Jews, his own people. And so the Jewish people viewed Matthew as a traitor. It'd kind of be like, if uh, let's imagine you have a sick parent, okay? Uh, let's say it's your mom, and your mom's really sick, and she's barely making it, and you have to go, and you have to live with her and help take care of her. And she gives you all her credit cards because she needs you to pay her bills for her because she can't do anything for herself anymore. She's totally unable to take care of herself. And then let's say one day she gets a call from the bank telling her she's completely out of money. And she finds out that you were the one stealing from her. 
And so now she can't pay her bills. She can't uh, buy medical support for herself or anything else like that. Listen, she was already barely making it. She's already not able to take care of herself. And then on top of it all, her own flesh and blood was stealing from her. Well, that's exactly how the Jewish people felt about Matthew. When they looked at Matthew, they saw a no good, greedy, untrustworthy, disloyal traitor. And watch this. This is amazing. I told you, Jesus is awesome. Jesus goes right up to that guy and says, follow me. And where's Matthew sitting? Did you notice that? He's sitting at the tax booth. So don't, don't miss what's going on here. Jesus had not been kind of like in the periphery watching Matthew for a time. And he's like, hey, Matthew's been doing great recently, you know. He hasn't really been stealing from anyone He's been charging a fair amount. He's really pulled his life around. He's turned it around. And now he's going to come and I'm going to tell him to follow me. No, no. Matthew is in the process of robbing people right now. He's at the tax booth. He is taking advantage of people right now. And in the midst of that, Jesus goes, follow me. Now, anybody who was watching this scene take place would have been like, Jesus, are you sure? You want that guy? The, the, the no good, greedy, untrustworthy, disloyal traitor, that's who you want? Even Matthew himself would have been like, anybody else here named Matthew? I, I know he's not talking to me. Jesus, you really want me to follow you? Do you know who I am? And Jesus says, yes, Matthew, I know who you are. I want you, Matthew, come and follow me. And notice this, church, immediately Matthew leaves everything behind. He leaves his job, he leaves his financial security, his livelihood. He leaves everything in order to be with Jesus. So don't miss this. Jesus was immediately worth more to Matthew than everything else he had in his life. And the man who immediately started following Jesus, what does he do then? He goes and immediately starts telling other people about Jesus and gathering followers for Jesus. Look at what the Bible says in verse 10. The Bible says, And As Jesus reclined at table, which is a weird translation, but it fits, in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So listen, Mark's account of this story tells us that they're in Matthew's house. So we don't know how it happened. We don't know if Matthew was like, hey, Jesus, you want to come over and have dinner tonight? Or if this was kind of like a Zacchaeus situation where Jesus was like, hey, Matthew, I don't know what your house looks like. If it looks like an absolute tornado has been through there. I know you didn't prepare for company or guests or anything. But guess where I'm eating tonight? Your house. <laughs> Hope you got some food. We don't know how it happened. But nonetheless, they're in Matthew's house. And Jesus is eating with Matthew, a former tax collector, and a bunch of other tax collectors, and then a whole bunch of sinners. In other words, these are not the type of people that other people would assume Jesus would eat with and have company with, right? You don't expect to find Jesus hanging out with a bunch of sinners, and yet here he is doing that very thing. I mean, from the world's perspective, who are these people he's eating with? They're the bad guys, right? These are the people that Jesus should be avoiding, He should go find the good people, the ones who have it all together, the ones who are living these good, honest lives, the respectable people. But notice this, church. Jesus pursues the ones that the world says he should avoid. And I'm personally thankful for that, by the way. It teaches us as Christ followers that we should never discount a person based on how the world perceives them. 
I don't know if you know the name Nicky Cruz. Anybody familiar with the name Nicky Cruz? Okay. Well, he was the leader of the notorious New York City gang, the Mau Mau's, for a time. And so he was part of this gang, and a, a pastor named David Wilkerson moved into their area. And he began praying for the, the lost in their area. And he felt like the Lord was calling him to go and reach the Mau Mau's and the gang members. And so he goes into the worst parts of the city, and he starts sharing the gospel with all the gang members that he can find. And the Mau Mau's hated him, especially Nicky Cruz. They ran him out of the area. They threatened him. And, but Wilkerson, he just kept coming back. He kept bringing the gospel to him. He kept telling him about Jesus. And finally, Nicky Cruz confronted him and said, if you ever show your face around these parts again, we are going to kill you and we're going to get away with it. And so he went and told his other friends in ministry about it and asked them to pray. And he had people tell him, leave them alone. Those gang members are not worth it. They're not worth your time. They're not worth your effort. They're not worth your, 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 your life. Certainly, just, just leave them alone. They're never going to come to Jesus anyways. You are wasting your time. But Pastor Wilkerson didn't believe that. And so one night, he held a, a worship night in their area. The Mau Mau's found out about it. Nikki Cruz and a couple of gang members, they made plans to go and shoot up the worship night and kill Wilkerson as he was preaching. And so the worship night kicks off, Wilkerson's preaching, they show up, and as they get there, Wilkerson is already in the midst of his message. And it was so spirit-filled and powerful that before they could draw their guns, they began to be convicted by the words that he was preaching. And so eventually what happened is they had this plan, they were going to kill Wilkerson, but as they're listening to his message, God stopped them in their tracks, convicted them, and then Nicky Cruz and every gang member with him that night repented of their sins and trusted in Christ for salvation. And then, on top of it, Nicky Cruz went on to become an evangelist and a preacher, and he went back to his old gang, and he started sharing the gospel with the Mau Mau's, and then he eventually converted most of the gang, including the leader who took his place after him. And so don't miss what's going on there, right? Everyone told Wilkerson, these people aren't worth your time. They're bad people. Jesus would never love them. Jesus would never call them. They're never going to come to Christ. And Wilkerson believed deep down in his heart that Jesus came for people just like them. And so he went and continued to share the gospel with them, and many people were one to the Lord. So, so here's what I want you to know this morning, all right? I know we have people in here this morning who think that God would never call them. I know we have people here this morning who think that God would never save them, that God would never use them because of their past and all that they've done and all that they still struggle with. But here's what I want you to understand this morning. Jesus' call bridges the gap between your past and His purposes. Jesus' call, it bridges the gap between your past and His purposes. In other words, look, when Jesus looked at Matthew... And he saw them sitting there. Jesus was not focused on Matthew's sinful life. Jesus saw the future that God had for him. When Jesus looked at Matthew, he didn't see a no good backstabbing tax collector. Jesus looked at Matthew and he saw a faithful follower. He saw a gospel writer. 
He saw someone who would be a bold evangelist and ultimately give his life telling others about Jesus. And the one thing needed to take Matthew from where he was at to where God was taking him was Jesus' call saying, follow me. And I want you to know this morning, church, the same thing is true for you. When you look at your life, you may only see the sin in your life. You may only see your failures and your shortcomings. Listen, that may be all the world sees too. There's nothing you can do to control that. But I want you to know that Jesus sees a beautiful future for you. Jesus sees God's purpose for you in your life. He sees a life of purpose, an abundant life in Christ that will have an impact on eternity. A life that matters. And you may not believe me. You may think that that just can't be true for you. But I promise you it can be. Because Jesus still sends forth that same call today. He says to everyone in here this morning, follow me. And if like Matthew, you will answer that call, then Jesus will bridge the gap between your past and your present struggles and God's purposes for your life. God wants more for you. And listen, here's what I know this morning. Many of you, you've already answered that call, haven't you? You heard Jesus say, follow me, and you did that. But here's my question to you. Have you taken the next step like Matthew? Because notice what happened. When Matthew began to follow Jesus, he immediately began to tell other people about Jesus and gather people to come meet Jesus. My question is, have you done that? Are you doing that? Does that characterize your life? I mean, that's what we're talking about in gospel groups right now. How to share the message of the gospel as we go. How to tell people about Jesus and gather followers for him. I want you to notice this. Jesus pursued those that the world rejected and looked down upon. And don't miss this, church. He gives that mission to us as well. As ambassadors for Christ. As his purchased people. Because something the Bible makes abundantly clear is that purchased people pursue people. So my question is, are you doing that? Are you pursuing those in your life? Are you willing to go and pursue the broken, the neglected, the forgotten, the hurting, the outcast, and tell them about the great love of God in Christ and comfort them with the knowledge that Jesus came for people just like them? Now listen, that's a beautiful truth to anybody who's already a Christian. Amen? To know that Jesus came for people just like you. But not everybody is happy about that. And not everybody was happy about it in Jesus' day either. I want you to notice what happens in verses 11 through 13. The Bible says, When the Pharisees saw that, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? They're not really curious, by the way. It's just an accusation. It's a a veiled accusation. They're saying, yeah, if Jesus was really so holy, if he was really so good, why is he hanging out with the bad people? And Jesus heard it, and this is what he said. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I mean, you see what I mean? Not everybody is happy that Jesus is reaching out to sinners. It's amazing that you even have to to think that that would be a possibility. But yes, some people are not happy that Jesus is reaching out to sinners. Who's upset here, church? 
Pharisees. Yeah, you can talk back. That's fine. When I say, okay, church, you talk back. Yeah, we do that, all right? Who's upset, church? It's the Pharisees, right? The religious people, surprise, surprise. Thank the Lord. Religious people don't get upset about things like that anymore, right? I mean, they are notoriously accepting of all people. If you're new here, I pick on religious people way more than worldly people, so just get used to that. But the, the religious people, they are upset that Jesus is, is actually associating with people that they think are beneath him. People they don't think much about at all. And there are still countless religious people today who like to do the same thing and judge other people by their appearance and think that they know everything they need to know about someone simply by the way they look. I know you've never done that, right? I know you can't imagine that, but yes, there are some people who will look at someone else and judge them by their appearance and think, I know everything I need to know about them based on just how they look. I can tell you what kind of a person he is. When they look at Matthew, they see a no good tax collector. And again, that's what we're still dealing with with so many people today. You look at someone, you go, based on the way he's dressed, I imagine he's this type of person. I've encountered that personally from religious people. I mean, I think I've told you all about a time when uh, Gene and Vicky, they were treating me to lunch one day. And uh, this particular day, I was dressed to the nines. I was wearing some old jeans with some holes in them. Still my favorite pair of jeans to this day. Uh, a worn-out T-shirt with my, you know, tattoos fully visible, and a hat that had so many rips in it, you would think I'd run over it, but it was my favorite hat, and I ruined it by trying to clean it, but we forgive and forget. I'm not hung up on it, all right? <laughs> Basically, if you were to look at me that day, I looked like someone they found on the street, and they were trying to treat me to a lunch, which is not far from the truth, actually. <laughs> so, and so we were in line at this restaurant, and uh, two nice couples came in behind us. They were dressed, I mean, they actually were dressed to the nines, okay? They had full suits on, they had ties on, and I started listening to them talking, and there were two guys there with their wives, and, and they were pastors at a church somewhere nearby. And so I started listening in on their conversation and hearing about all they have going on that week and stuff like that. But then, to my great surprise, they look at me, and I hear them start making comments about me. And trying to assess what type of person I am based on the way that I'm dressed. I found this quite interesting. But then we go and we sit down at our tables. And the whole time that they are eating, they're over like looking at me the entire time. And they're like making these little comments. They're like judging me. The whole time we were eating, I thought they were going to come and slip me a track under my burrito, okay? And like come and share the gospel with me. Which I'm not opposed to, by the way. You want to share the gospel with me, I love it. So... But that's what they were looking like the whole time. And I just remember thinking how surprised they would be if they knew that not only was I a Christian, I was a pastor too. I mean, I was thinking to myself, listen, brothers, the same blood that covers you covers me too. And the same God who saved you and called you to preach and pastor has called me to preach and pastor. You're not better than me because you wear a suit. But how dangerous is that to look at someone and what they're wearing and what they look like and assume that you know everything you need to know about them? You know what's even worse while we're on this topic? Is when you look at someone and you know someone and you actually do know a little bit about what's in their past and you assume that that must still be true of them in the future or in the present. You know about their past, and so you assume that they are still that same person you knew all those years ago. 
You say, oh yeah, I know so-and-so. I remember what they used to do back in high school. It's not high school anymore. We're beyond that, are we not? Oh yeah, I remember a few years ago, they used to struggle with this and they used to struggle with that. And I know that he went to prison for this and that and this. Well, they're not there anymore, are they? Praise God that God can actually turn a life around. Amen? I mean, I don't know about you, but my God turns lives around all the time. My God can and does convert the worst of sinners. Here's one of my favorite truths is that there is no such thing as a person who is too far gone for God. Doesn't matter how bad their sin was in the past. Doesn't matter what they struggle with in the present. No one is too far gone for God. My favorite truth is that you cannot out the cross of Christ. God's grace will always be greater than all of your sin, no matter how bad it is. And that's exactly what Jesus wanted the Pharisees to understand here, church. That's why he tells them, listen, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And the word sacrifice here, it's a reference to obedience, to obedience to the law. The Pharisees thought that through strict observance and adherence to the law, that they could earn God's favor. And then they uh, imposed that same standard on everyone else. So basically, this is what the Pharisees said. They said, all right, everybody knows that God loves us because we're Pharisees. But here's how God will love you too. If you will go and do A, B, and C, and if you will get rid of A, B, and C in your life, and then you'll do all these other things, if you will do all the things that we tell you to do, if you will keep all the walls, even the ones that God didn't command, but the ones that we made up, if you will just be a good person and do good things, then God will love you, and He will accept you, and you will be pleasing in His sight. And if you don't, well then to hell with you, because that's where you're going. That's how they thought they could be loved by God. As long as I'm good... As long as I'm obedient, as long as I just pull myself up by my bootstraps and put my nose to the grind and do everything right, God loves me and He is pleased with me. And they only associated with people who would do the same thing they did. And so they said, let a person clean himself up first. Let a person prove himself first. Let a person live a nice, respectable life and then I will keep company with them. You see, the Pharisees knew exactly what sacrifice meant. They knew all about sacrifice, but mercy was foreign to them. They were legalists. And so Jesus says, listen, you have missed the point entirely. Listen to me, church. God's favor is not for sale. God's favor cannot be bought or earned. Listen, Jesus did not come to earth to check everybody's spiritual report cards and only love people and call people who had an A+. You know why? Because no one did. Not even the Pharisees, even though they thought they did. No, Jesus came to earth to say, Hey, listen, you're all terrible. <laughs> None of you are good. Not even one. And even if you spent your entire rest of your life trying to be good and earn God's favor, you would never be good enough. You could never do it. But I am good. I am everything that the Father requires you to be. And He is fully pleased with me. And if you will just turn from your sinful ways and put all of your trust in me, then God will give you my status. 
Through faith in me, God will count you as righteous and pleasing in His sight. I have not come to call the righteous because there are none. I have come to call the sinners. And so here's the good news for everybody this morning. Everybody who's here who has grown up in that legalistic idea of here's all the things that you have to do to get God to love you and here's all the things that you have to do to keep the love of God with you and all that kind of stuff and all the people who think, well, I know I can't come to Jesus right now because my life's a mess and there's some things i got to get clean first and all this kind of stuff. Listen to me this morning. Jesus doesn't call the perfect. He perfects the called. Jesus has never once called a perfect person because they don't exist. Jesus doesn't call the perfect. He perfects the called. And we should all praise God for that this morning. Should we not, church? I mean, anybody happy about that? Imagine if Jesus only called perfect people. (laughs) Praise God that he doesn't. Praise God that Jesus didn't just come for good people who have it all together, whose lives are squeaky clean. And those who are worthy, because if that's the case, guess who's missing out, church? Everyone in here. (laughs) Everyone in every other church this morning. No, we should praise God that Jesus came for the broken and for the sick, for the screw-ups, for the troublemakers, for the outcasts, for the despised, for those who do not have it all together, for those who are like, Jesus, I'm barely making it right now. What can you do with me? For those whose lives are a mess. In other words, church, don't miss this. People just like us. Didn't I tell you that at the beginning? Jesus came for people just like us. We have to get rid of this wrong, legalistic, pharisaical idea that you have to be perfect and clean your life up in order for Jesus to love you and call you to follow him and join him in his kingdom. Because that's not how it works. I mean, why do you think he says here, isn't it the sick who need a doctor? Not those who are well? I mean, how ridiculous would that be, right? I mean, imagine that there's someone chopping wood, okay? And they're outside chopping wood. They do a big swing, miss the wood entirely, hit their leg, nearly chop their leg off. And their friend comes rushing in. They're like, oh my goodness, you've got to get to a hospital immediately. Call 911. You've got to go to a hospital. And the person said, no, 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 I can't do that. I might get blood all over the place. I might make a mess once I get there. They might make fun of me because of my accident. Plus, look at me, I'm a mess right now. I've been outside chopping wood, nearly chopped the leg off. Let me have some time, clean myself up, okay, take a shower. And then once I'm feeling better, once I'm presentable, then I'll go to the hospital. The friend would be like, don't you know what a hospital is? Haven't you been to a hospital before? You don't go to a hospital when you're well and you're not injured and you have it all together. You go to a hospital when you're sick. You go to a hospital when you're injured. That's when you go. You don't wait till you have it all together. That's ridiculous. Well, can I tell you, it's also equally ridiculous for you to think that you have to get it all together before you come to Jesus. Listen to me. I want you to take this away with you, all right? If you wait to come to Jesus until you have it all together, you're never going to come to Jesus because you're never going to have it all together. Here's something I know about every Christian in here this morning. Doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for five minutes. Doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 50 years. The ones who have been Christians for 50 years plus, they will be the first ones to tell you, even though they've been a Christian for 50 years, they still don't have it all together. 
Amen? Anybody who's been a Christian that long? Yeah. Okay. They're not perfect. And they weren't perfect when they came to Jesus. He does not call the perfect. Jesus says you cannot clean yourself up. And listen, the good news is God doesn't expect you to. Jesus bids us to come just as we are and He will clean us up. I mean, Jesus never once said, Come to me, all who are good and thriving, and I'll give you a pat on the back. No, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, come to me just as you are. Come to me broken. Come to me sick. Come to me a mess. I'll clean you up. See, here's what I want everyone to understand this morning. Neither your past sins nor your present struggles will prevent Jesus from loving you and calling you. It's His call that bridges the gap between your past and God's purposes for your life. And I want you to be relieved this morning. I want you to be comforted this morning by the fact that you don't have to have it all together in order for Jesus to love you and call you. Listen to me. Jesus loves you just as you are, but He also loves you too much to leave you that way. And so He says, come to Me. You can be broken. You can be a mess. You you don't have to have anything together. You come to Me as you are, and I will clean you up. I will wash you white as snow. I will give you a new heart. I will make you a new creation. And then I will give you my own Holy Spirit. And you know what the Holy Spirit does? For the rest of your human existence, the Holy Spirit will spend the rest of your entire life conforming you more and more and more into the image of Christ. He does the work for you. You don't have to be perfect. God perfects you. And then one day, on that last day, when we are raised up, we will be perfectly glorified in His sight because the Bible says when we see Him, we will be like Him. That's the hope we have. You don't have to be perfect now. It's coming one day. And Jesus will ensure that it happens. So no matter where you find yourself this morning, no matter what condition you were in when you entered this place, I want you to rest assured I want you to be comforted by the fact. I want you to know 100% that Jesus came for people just like you. Amen?